Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. Hey there, welcome to a very different kind of video for this channel, but it's still a very dark topic nonetheless. Either way, I decided to try something a little different this Halloween. After working on the cops video a while back, I thought it might be interesting to cover some more onset injuries and fatalities from movies and TV shows. While one or two of them came up in my mind, I actually ended up finding a giant list that someone compiled of basically every one of them that you could think of. It's a massive list, an iceberg, in fact. This huge iceberg here was compiled by, uh, Siak, I'm not Siacom, on Reddit. This user was even kind enough to provide us with some of the info on a lot of the lesser known cases here. So big shout out to them. If you don't know what an iceberg is, it's mostly a way of sorting information from most known info on top to least known info on bottom. Oh, and I decided to talk a lot more casually throughout this video since it was going to be so long, and I realized that I use a lot of words like actually way too much. So feel free to berate me in the comments for that. Also, a lot of people thought this hat was a weird choice during the last Halloween video, so I'm bringing it back. So today we're going to be covering more than an hour of onset fatalities, injuries, and disasters. Buckle up. Okay, so without further ado, let's get to it with the top of the iceberg, but first a word from the sponsor. Got a packed schedule this fall and don't have much time to figure out what to cook? HelloFresh has meals covered with a weekly selection of 30-plus recipes and 70-plus convenience items, all delivered to your door. So you can try out a variety of global flavors, all from your own kitchen. HelloFresh offers a wide variety of all kinds of quick and easy recipes that take minimal prep time and don't require much cleanup afterwards. They also come with clear, step-by-step -step instructions on how to cook the food, and the ingredients are pre-proportioned so you don't have to count anything out. Not only that, but you end up with less trips to the store since it comes with every little thing you need. What I really like is the customization. You can easily customize your meals with Hello Custom by swapping proteins or sides, upgrading to choice proteins, or even adding protein to a veggie meal. It's never been easier to eat your way. For today's video, I decided to try out the Crispy Buffalo Spiced Chicken. This meal is another straight-up win. With caramelized carrots, mashed potatoes, and seasoned breaded chicken, I would have thought that it would have taken more work, but it really didn't and it came out tasting fantastic. This is a great way to cook at home for minimum effort and maximum output. It gives you a good home-cooked meal with none of the stress. Not to mention you'll cut down on time and you'll cut down on your food waste by about 25% as well compared to grocery shopping. Go to HelloFresh.com and use code DIRETRIP65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Once again, go to HelloFresh.com and use code DIRETRIP65 for 65% off plus free shipping. And now, on to the iceberg. Apocalypse Now the filming of Apocalypse Now was tumultuous to say the least, but given that a lot of people have heard of at least one of the incidents on this list, it's pretty high up on the iceberg. It's kind of gone down in history as being an absolute chaotic nightmare of an awful production to work on. The director wasn't having a very good time from the get-go. He was hoping that Steve McQueen would play the role of Willard, but McQueen refused. He then tried a number of other actors, such as Robert Redford, Al Pacino, and Jack Nicholson. When they all refused, the director, in a fit of anger and rage, took all five of his Oscars and threw them out the window. Harvey Keitel was eventually hired for the lead, but even he, after a little bit of time, was fired. Then Martin Sheen took the main role, but he was having a pretty bad time from the get-go. He was having a pretty hard time dealing with his own alcoholism. 
And believe me, he took all of his problems with him onto the set. Not only was rampant alcoholism a problem, but so were drug binges, tropical diseases, and even monsoons by the end of production. One day, Martin Sheen got completely drunk out of his mind and ordered the crew to come film him. When they started filming, he got oddly aggressive, started punching out mirrors, and even tried to attack the director. Oddly enough, the director kept the film rolling, and the footage is now in the scene of Martin Sheen sitting on the edge of his bed. Despite being a Vietnam movie, most of the movie was actually shot in the Philippines, which came with its own set of problems. The director got into a lot of trouble for filming the ritual killings of some water buffaloes. Not only that, but the dictator of the Philippines at the time, President Marcos, kept stealing all of their helicopters. A lot of crew members said that this was due to the movie having too much money, too much time, too much alcohol, and too much drugs on hand. It didn't take too long before the entire production was thrown into complete chaos. Hell, the actor Sam Bottoms, who played the surfer named Lance Johnson, spent the entire production of the movie completely high on speed, LSD, and marijuana. Things only served to get even worse when Marlon Brando came onto the set. He had never even looked at the script or read the book that the movie was going to be based on, and he was drunk pretty much perpetually throughout production. Once he finally did read the script that the director handed to him, he flat out refused to do it. After that, an argument took place in which he finally agreed to do the movie, but only on the premise that he was shot entirely in the shadows and he could say whatever the hell he wanted. The next day, he appeared on set having shaved his head completely bald for some reason. The director, Coppola, lost a hundred pounds in weight, he almost ended his life several times during the filming, and when Martin Sheen was found crawling up the road after having a heart attack, he collapsed and had an epileptic seizure. Despite all of these horrors, the actors and crew kept partying night by night by night at the hotel. During these wild parties, the actors would even throw themselves off of the roof at the hotel. Then we come to the actor named Dennis Hopper. At this point in his life, the man was said to consist on a diet mainly of rum and cocaine. When the director asked him how he could help out with his role, Dennis Hopper replied, an ounce of cocaine. Finding out that this was all they could really do to get him to work, the production team ended up keeping him supplied throughout the filming. Marlon Brando also hated Dennis Hopper. He refused to be around him in any capacity, even if they were supposed to be in the same scene together. All of their scenes had to be shot separately and edited together. Eventually, Marlon Brando told the director that he had been in the movie enough, so that if they wanted someone to do more of his scenes, they could simply hire someone else. He got up and never came back. A movie that was supposed to take six weeks to film ended up taking 68 weeks to film. The Crow So back on March 31st of 1993, Brandon Lee was filming a scene for the movie The Crow, which was in production. In this scene, his character was to be shot and killed by thugs. Brandon Lee's character walked into his apartment and discovered that his fiance was being beaten and uh, abused by some thugs in which one of these men fires a 44 Magnum at Lee's character just as he walks in. When prepping to film the fatal scene, the gun that was used as a prop, which was a real revolver, was loaded with improperly made dummy rounds. These dummy rounds were made from actual live cartridges that simply had the gunpowder taken out and removed by the special effects crew. This was to make the revolver look as realistic as possible during filming. However, some of the crew failed to remove the primers from the cartridges, these little metal pieces. Although there was no longer any gunpowder left in the bullet, the energy from the ignited primer was just enough to separate the bullet from the casing and push it partway through the gun barrel where it got stuck. 
So in the end, a bullet was basically already lodged in the barrel of the gun. So when it came to the final scene, these guns were meant to be fired with blanks, which contained a bit of gunpowder in the primer, but no actual bullet. That way, the gun would have accurate sound and flash effects without actually firing a projectile. However, given that a bullet was already lodged in the barrel, this was a deadly combination. The gunpowder in the blank was ignited and the bullet was pushed out through the barrel. It was shot out at almost the same force as if it were just an actual live bullet, and it struck Lee in the abdomen. Once the actor shot Lee, he fell backwards instead of forwards just as he was supposed to do, so nobody thought anything of it. However, when the director finally said cut, Brandon Lee never stood back up. A lot of the crew thought he was either joking or simply just a little bit too committed to the role. However, one member of the crew came up and checked Lee when they noticed something was wrong. He was breathing very heavily and was apparently unconscious. A medic went over and started shaking Lee, thinking that he was just dazed by possibly hitting his head during the fall. Nobody considered that he had actually been shot as they weren't even firing bullets. Not only that, but he didn't appear to be bleeding. The medic took his pulse, which was regular at the time, but it slowly, over the course of a few minutes, went down drastically and ultimately stopped. Lee was rushed to the hospital, but they were unable to revive him, even after six hours of emergency surgery. Brandon Lee was pronounced dead on March 31st of 1993, only being 28 years old. The shooting was officially ruled to be an accident due to negligence. Brandon Lee had actually completed almost all of his scenes for the movie and was only scheduled to shoot for another two or three more days. The script was rewritten a bit, adding new narration and a few new scenes. This was when Brandon Lee's stunt double, a man named Chad Staleski, was used as a stand-in for him and CGI was used to put Lee's face onto the head of the stunt double. The movie was released to positive reviews and it actually became a cult classic over time, even spawning several sequels. Now you see me. An actress by the name of Isla Fisher actually had a near-death experience while working on the movie Now You See Me. The actress actually nearly drowned while doing a stunt simulating a magic trick in a water tank. I was actually drowning, she said in an interview, saying that she was stuck underwater for almost three minutes straight. Everyone thought I was acting fabulously. No one realized I was actually struggling. What people thought was simply fantastic acting was actually a very scary predicament when Fisher's release chain got stuck in her costume and she could no longer move. My chain got stuck. I had to really swim to the bottom. I couldn't get up, she said. Although it was a bit traumatizing at the time, now she's able to laugh off the incident in interviews. Who wants to die in a swimming costume, she says. Rust so just very recently on October 21st of 2021 at the Bonanza Creek Ranch in Bonanza City, New Mexico, a cinematographer named Halnya Hutchins was fatally shot and a director named Joel Souza was injured while filming the film Rust. Similar to the incident in The Crow, a live round was discharged from a revolver used as a prop by Alec Baldwin of all people. Again, the weapon had not actually been thoroughly checked for safety beforehand. The scene required Alec Baldwin's character to remove a gun from his holster and point it towards the camera. The camera was up pretty close to the revolver at this point. There were three people behind the monitor, just a few feet from the muzzle of the firearm, and none of them were wearing any protective gear whatsoever, even headphones or goggles. Again, this was supposedly a prop gun shooting blanks. They didn't feel they had any reason for the extra safety. While the crew were adjusting the camera a little bit to get a pesky shadow out of the way, Alec Baldwin began explaining how he planned to draw out the firearm and shoot it. 
He told them, so I guess I'm going to take this out, pull it, and go bang. When he removed it from the holster, the gun was accidentally fired one single time. Baldwin still claims that he didn't actually pull the trigger, but this claim has since been challenged by the FBI. The projectile flew towards the three who were behind the camera, striking Hutchins in the chest and Souza in the shoulder. One of the script supervisors called 911 at approximately 1.30 in the afternoon, and the emergency crew appeared pretty shortly after. The incident was actually not recorded, as they hadn't even finished setting up the camera yet. Hutchins was taken to the University of New Mexican Hospital in Albuquerque, where she was pronounced dead shortly after. Souza was treated by EMS and transported by an ambulance to the Christus St. Vincent Regional Medical Hospital in Santa Fe, where he was admitted but subsequently released the following day. Because of this incident, production on the film was suspended indefinitely. Some were fairly confident that production would resume after the investigation concluded. Some wanted to honor Hutchins by completing her final work, but it's seeming at this point that that may not happen. Just this recently, in August of 2022, the FBI determined that the projectile could not have been launched without anyone actually pulling the trigger to the firearm. They had ruled out mechanical failure in the gun completely. Alec Baldwin still claims that he didn't pull the trigger. As of now, the incident is still being investigated by a number of different offices. The Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office, the New Mexico First Judicial District Attorney, the New Mexico Occupational Health and Safety Bureau, and the FBI themselves. Production on Rust has still not resumed. Deliverance Deliverance was a 1972 movie about a group of friends who went on a river rafting trip that went horrifically wrong. Burt Reynolds went a little too far during filming when he insisted on doing his own stunts, in particular one where his character named Lewis went over a waterfall. More recently, in interviews, the late Burt Reynolds said that the stunt was just a dumb, macho thing to do. I went over the falls in Deliverance and I hit a rock and cracked my tailbone, he said. I tell everyone I was a 31-year-old guy in great shape before I went over the falls. And once I got in, they couldn't find me. I remember one of the stunt guys said to me before the stunt, if you get caught in the hydrofoil and you can't get out, go to the bottom and it will shoot you right out. But he didn't tell me it was like being shot out of a torpedo. I came out of the river about a mile away, it seemed like, and I came out with no clothes. I had no shoes, socks, the falls tore them off. It was a pretty hairy stunt. The Mummy Brendan Fraser went through one pretty harrowing experience during a scene where his character was supposed to be hanged but not killed in a prison. Unfortunately for him, he ended up being actually choked out. I did get fully choked out. It was scary, he said. Rick is dangling at the end of the rope and he's such a tough guy that his neck didn't snap. We did the wide shot, which was a stuntman going down, and he had his harness on and it looked great. Then they've got to go in for a close-up. There was a hangman's gallows, and there was a hemp rope tied into a noose that was placed around my neck. The first take, I'm doing my best choking acting. Steve says, could we go for another one and take up the tension on the rope? I said, alright, one more take. Because a noose around your neck's going to choke you in the arteries no matter what. So the stuntman took up the tension on the rope, and I went up on the balls of my feet, and then I guess he took the tension down again, and I'm not a ballerina, I can't stand on my tiptoes. I remember seeing the camera start to pan around, and then it was like a black iris at the end of a silent film. It was like turning down the volume switch on your home stereo, like the Death Star powering down. I regained consciousness, and one of the EMTs was saying my name. There was gravel in my ear, and shit really hurt. The stunt coordinator came over and said, Hi, welcome to the club, bro. Ha ha ha. 
And I was like, haha, funny, haha, like what the hell, I want to go home, Steven. He and I disagreed, but I think he was trying to go, oh, that wacky Brendan acting up a storm again, or something like that. I was like, hey, you guys think what you need to, but I'm done for the day. The director of the film recalls the incident a little bit differently. Brendan is totally to blame, he said. He tightens the noose, and then, as we're about to get the shot, he's trying to make it look like it's really strangling him. I guess it cut off his carotid artery or whatever and knocked him out. He did it to himself. Back to the Future Part 3 So it turns out that Michael J. Fox accidentally almost died while filming a stunt on Back to the Future Part 3. So in the movie, a gang is attempting to lynch Marty before Doc Brown shoots the rope loose in the nick of time. However, while saving the character of Marty, this actually almost killed the actor Michael J. Fox. After what we just heard about the mummy, I'm sure you know that hangings are pretty dangerous to film. It's hard to make them look realistic without actually making them a little too realistic. If the filmmakers aren't very careful when it comes to these scenes, you can easily end up actually hanging the actor. Michael J. Fox spoke of this near hanging, saying, I swung unconscious at the end of the rope for several seconds before Bob Zemix, fan of me though he was, realized I wasn't that good of an actor. The rehearsals had gone well, but when they began actually filming the scene, the rope was a bit too tight, actually cutting off his airways. But given that the actor is supposed to look like they're in pain while they're acting, no one notices when they actually are. Thankfully, all of the filmmakers managed to free him from the noose and bring him back to consciousness. Oddly enough, this isn't the first time that an incident like this has happened during the Back to the Future series. During the filming of the hoverboard chase scene, a stunt woman actually required reconstructive surgery after she fell from a great height. That scene was actually kept in the movie. The Expendables 3 Jason Statham, of all people, actually almost ended up losing his life on the set of The Expendables 3. During a driving scene, Jason Statham was actually forced to jump from the truck that he was driving before it plunged about 60 feet into the ocean in front of him. This was because the brakes on the truck had actually gone out. Luckily, Statham was a strong swimmer, and even after he hit the water, he managed to live. His co-star, Sylvester Stallone, said, He faced death. He was test driving a three-ton truck, and the brakes ran out. It went down 60 feet into the Black Sea and became impaled. Luckily, we had taken off the doors before. If anyone else had been in that truck, he would have been dead because we were all wearing heavy boots and gun belts. We would have drowned. But because Jason is an Olympic-quality diver, he got out of it. Stallone himself wasn't really as lucky. He had to have a metal plate inserted into the back of his head after he took a pretty bad fall on the set of the same movie. The Passion of the Christ God, where do we even begin with this movie? Well, I'll start off by explaining what it is. It's a movie that mainly focuses on the final few hours of Jesus' life, and the movie was pretty well critically praised for its performances and its cinematography, but it was criticized for its anti-Semitic undertones and graphic violence. Regardless, it still is the highest-grossing R-rated movie of all time. First of all, let's just say that lightning struck on the set. Not once, not twice, but three times during filming. Jim Caviezel, the actor who played Jesus, said that he was lit up by a Christmas tree when he was filming the Sermon on the Mount scene. The lightning strike had even set his hair on fire, leading Mel Gibson to scream out what the heck happened to his hair. After only a few minutes, an assistant named John Michelani walked over and asked if he was okay, who was then subsequently struck by lightning himself. 
this was actually the second time that this man had been struck by lightning in his life, something that almost nobody on Earth experiences. Then later on, while filming the flogging scene, Caviezel was accidentally hit by the whips for real. Twice. He said, I turned around and looked at the guy, and I tell you, I may be playing Jesus, but I felt like Satan at the moment. A couple of expletives came out of my mouth. To be fair, I think more than a few expletives would come out of the mouth of most people. Not only that, but while Jim was carrying the 150-pound crucifix prop, he actually dislocated his shoulder as well. He was filming mostly naked and below freezing temperatures for most of the movie. Because of this, he got pneumonia and even a lung infection. Given that Jesus had been through a rough time, let's say, one of his eyes was supposed to look permanently swollen shut, and that was done so by makeup. But because of this, he was left to only look out of one eye day in and day out, because of which he got constant recurring migraines. Maybe God didn't want them to make this movie. I'm just saying. The Twilight Zone movie. So this is the movie that originally got me looking into this topic in the first place. Much like the TV show, the Twilight Zone movie was divided into multiple segments, this time into four segments. One of these segments was called Time Out, in which a character named Bill Connor, played by Vic Moreau, was transported back in time into the Vietnam War. He's forced to challenge his racism and overcome it by protecting a couple of Vietnamese children from American troops. Behind the scenes, the filmmaker, John Landis, had actually violated California's child labor laws by hiring the two kids who would play the two Vietnamese children. He hired seven-year-old Micah and six-year-old Renee without the required permits. So these kids were hired in a pretty roundabout way. The production secretary for the film approached a colleague who approached a man named Peter Chun. Peter Chun had a niece named Renee. He also had a Vietnamese colleague who had a son, which was Micah. Peter Chun later testifies that he was never informed that either of these children would be put into any danger, let alone near explosives or helicopters. Child labor laws did not allow the children to work at night. Because of this, their families were paid under the table. Landis opted not to even try to get a special waiver because deep down he knew he wouldn't get it. Not only were the kids going to be working at such a late hour, but they were to be working in close proximity with a large number of explosives. The firefighters on set were not told that children were going to be part of the scene. Not only that, but a child welfare worker on set was also not told about the children as well. The scene called for Vic Moreau's character to carry the two children out of their deserted village while an American helicopter was flying above and explosions were going off all around the set. A fire safety officer was pretty concerned that the explosions could cause the helicopter to crash, but he didn't tell Landis of any of these concerns. While Vic Moreau was carrying the two children through the water, one of the explosive effects actually did hit the rotor of the helicopter and caused it to detach from the tail. The helicopter then spun out of control. Vic Moreau accidentally dropped Rene Chen into the water. When he reached down to grab her, the helicopter fell on top of him and the two children. Moreau and Micah were decapitated by the helicopter's main rotor blades, and Chun was crushed to death by the helicopter's landing skids. All three of them died almost instantaneously. Needless to say, this became quite the legal ordeal, and the trial became quite a spectacle. The accident led to both civil and criminal action against the filmmakers, and the trial went on for nearly a decade. None of the parents were told that there were going to be any helicopters or explosives on set. Not only that, but the helicopter was ordered to fly lower and lower, closer and closer to the explosions. 
All involved had been assured that there would be no actual danger, just noise. However, many people on set at the time, including Landis, were completely acquitted on charges of manslaughter in a nine-month trial that took place between 1986 and 1987. Vic Moreau's family settled within a year, as did the children's families, who collected millions of dollars from several civil lawsuits. The director's career never recovered, and Steven Spielberg, who was co-producing the film, cut ties with him forever. The video of the incident is actually available to watch online, and I don't recommend it. The Ten Commandments The Ten Commandments was a 1956 American epic religious drama film. It was based on the 1949 novel Prince of Egypt, the 1859 novel Pillar of Fire, and the 1937 novel On Eagle's Wings. Not to mention, of course, the Book of Exodus from the Bible. The Ten Commandments, as you might assume, is a dramatized version of the biblical story of Moses. This follows Moses as he exits Egypt and receives the Ten Commandments. Cecil B. DeMille, the narrator, actually had a minor heart attack while climbing down a ladder from one of the ancient Egyptian city gates on set. This was after filming consecutively three different takes of the same sequence. In another incident, during filming of a sandstorm scene, there was an extra who was carrying a flaming torch. This extra happened to trip, and the torch set fire to the clothing of a little girl who was next to him. Luckily, there was a makeup artist nearby who was able to tear off the girl's costume before it caused more than minor burns. During the filming of the same sandstorm scene, several Egyptian extras were stung by scorpions and bitten by cobras that had been blown out of their burrows by the wind they were creating to make the artificial sandstorm. White Wilderness So White Wilderness was one installment of Disney's True Life Adventure series, which was Disney's first attempt at documentary filmmaking out in nature. It was the precursor to Disney nature, which now these days produces films like African Cats and Born in China. You might wonder what kind of controversy could possibly come from a nature documentary. Critics tended to complain about an excessive use of gore in the movies. In fact, in 1954, New York State censors actually banned the film The Vanishing Prairie for its depiction of a live buffalo birth. Yeah, nowadays that probably wouldn't be even an issue, but back then I guess it was a little risque. However, the White Wilderness scandal didn't really emerge until multiple decades after the final movie even came out. A while ago it had become known that one installment in the series, The Living Desert, was almost entirely faked. The filmmakers actually captured spiders and insects and put them into little sets that they had created themselves and sort of directed their actions. However, when it came to White Wilderness, they really amped up the forgery aspect. This is when they showed what people have come to call the Death March, in which you can witness a group of lemmings flinging themselves off of a cliff. There are multiple layers as to why this is a problem. First off, the sequence wasn't even filmed up in the Arctic, it was actually filmed in Canada, where lemmings don't even naturally live. Lemmings jumping off of cliffs was also purely a myth, it's not something they actually do. This myth existed before White Wilderness, but White Wilderness definitely played a big part in uh, expanding its reach. A cameraman who worked on set actually said that the filmmakers paid a bunch of kids in Manitoba about a quarter each to capture some lemmings and transport them south to film. The crew then constructed little turntables covered in snow to confuse the lemmings and send them rolling around and then proceeded to dump them off of a cliff. 
The footage that they recorded was then edited and sort of swapped around to make it look like the lemmings were jumping off of the cliffs themselves. Needless to say, it isn't available to watch on Disney+. The Abyss The Abyss is pretty much the quintessential James Cameron film. By that, I mean that it cares more about innovation and death-defying stunts than it really does about plot. In the film, they have what is called liquid breathing, which is a key point of the plot. One of the characters uses this to dive thousands of feet underwater without compressing. Most of the cast was generally shooting about 70-hour weeks, and this lasted for about six months. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio had both an emotional and physical breakdown on set. Ed Harris even admitted that he broke into a fit of sobbing and rage while driving home one afternoon because of the stress. At one point, a lightning storm hit and blew a hole in a tarp that was covering one of their water tanks. Since repairing it was taking far too long and production was already way over schedule, they had to start shooting at night. This only served to make their days even longer. Not only that, but too much exposure to chlorine had burned the diver's skin over time and turned their hair completely white. Ed Harris explained himself in an interview, We were guinea pigs, in a way. Jim wasn't quite sure how this was all going to go down. In the drowning scene, I was screaming at her to come back and wake up, and I was slapping her across the face, and I see that they've run out of film on camera. There's a little light on the camera, and nobody had said anything. And Mary Elizabeth stood up and said, We are not animals, and walked off the set. They were going to just let me keep slapping her around. At one point during production of the film, even James Cameron himself almost died. He was at the bottom of the gigantic underwater set, and the assistant director was supposed to be monitoring his oxygen levels. However, he was off the clock and therefore not even there. Cameron now realized that he was running out of air and had to get out pretty quickly. He took off all of his gear, including his helmet, and tried to get out of there as quick as possible. A diver attempted to help him by diving down and giving him a spare breathing regulator, but it was faulty and didn't work. This ironically caused Cameron to accidentally suck in a lot of water. Not knowing what was really going on, the diver assumed that he was simply panicking and held him in place. Cameron, actually drowning and struggling to get free, couldn't do so until he straight up punched the diver in the face. The diver then let go and Cameron was able to get to safety. The Lone Ranger The Lone Ranger was a film about the Lone Ranger. In a recent interview with David Letterman, Johnny Depp actually relayed a story about how he almost died on set of the film. Naturally, Johnny Depp's role required him to do a lot of horseback riding during filming. He said, there was one moment in particular where it got unpleasant. The horses had been running, we'd been running them all day. They weren't really interested in slowing down at all. While they were filming yet another scene in which the horses were running and Johnny was riding, the bumpy terrain was kind of becoming a problem. Reacting to the bumps, Johnny's horse decided to jump over a couple of the obstacles. He was actually wearing a saddle that was supposed to make it look like he was riding bareback. Because of this, the saddle wasn't very tight on the horse. Johnny said, when we came down, the saddle slipped and I went to the left. While falling off of the horse, he managed to grab the reins and the mane of the horse to stay on. He was left with either the choice to hold on for dear life or just let go and see what happens. He chose the latter and let go of the horse. He could have injured himself in the fall or he could have even been trampled. Johnny Depp himself said that he could have been horrifically mangled at the very least. However, he landed flat on his back, avoiding injury, and the horse just happened to step over him. If the horse hadn't noticed that he had fallen, it would have stepped right on his face. The hooves of the horse did clip his head just a little bit, but he was left with a bruise and allowed to keep his life. Waterworld 
Waterworld was a 1995 American post-apocalyptic action film. The film is set far off into the distant future. The polar ice caps have completely melted and the sea level is now over 25,000 feet, covering nearly all of the Earth. The plot of the film revolves around a nameless anti-hero called the Mariner. Now, I don't know anything about boats, so I'm going to quote this part directly. During production, actresses Jean Triplehorn and Tina Majorino were thrown overboard from the Trimeran they were on when the bowsprit snapped. Afterwards, nearly a dozen rescue workers were forced to jump into the water and bring them back on board. Not only that, but Kevin Costner himself nearly died when he was caught in a squall while he was tied to the mast of the boat. In addition to that, and to a more minor degree, a lot of the cast and crew members actually suffered from seasickness. Some of them even got some pretty bad jellyfish stings. Kevin Costner's stunt double was even lost at sea for several hours after his jet ski ran out of fuel. Modern Problems Modern Problems was a 1981 film starring Chevy Chase. One stunt sequence in this movie went bad when Chevy Chase was wearing a suit that was decorated with lights. This suit malfunctioned and caused him to be electrocuted. The electricity coursed through his neck, back, and arm and disabled his motor system, causing him to lose consciousness. Luckily, though, he survived. The suit mainly became dangerous because of the moisture his body was generating when he was sweating while wearing it. A larger amount of electricity could have completely cooked his insides. Hell, even a moderate amount could have affected his central nervous system and killed him. This would have been similar to the effect of an electric chair. Because of this, Chevy Chase actually ended up with PTSD. Some of his symptoms included nightmares, isolation, nausea, sleeplessness, feelings of inadequacy, and aggressive behavior. Cannibal Holocaust so Cannibal Holocaust is one of these entries that I'm really surprised wasn't at the tip top of the iceberg. It's one of those movies that people think of first when they think of onset disasters. So Cannibal Holocaust was a 1980 Italian found footage horror film. It was about an anthropologist from New York who led a rescue team into the Amazon rainforest to try and find a crew of lost filmmakers. These lost filmmakers had supposedly gone missing when they were trying to film some elusive cannibal tribes. They weren't able to find the lost filmmakers, but they were able to locate their camera. The footage found in this camera becomes most of the movie. Rather than issues with people, most of the issues in Cannibal Holocaust have to do with animal abuse. The director himself says that he regrets ever introducing animals into production. Six animal deaths do appear on screen, and seven other animals were killed purely for the production. There was a scene in which a monkey was shot to death, and that scene had to be shot twice, meaning two monkeys had to be sacrificed. Both of these monkeys were then actually eaten by cast members who considered monkey brains to be a delicacy. The other animals that were killed on screen were a turtle which was decapitated and had its limbs, shell, and entrails removed, a boa constrictor that was killed with a machete, a squirrel monkey that was also killed with a machete, and again, a tarantula that was killed with a machete. There is a Cody, which is called a muskrat in the movie, that was stabbed with a knife. And finally, there was a pig that was shot in the head with a 22 caliber rifle at point-blank range. A lot of film critics have regarded the animal deaths as pure exploitation. However, others argued that animal mutilations that were in more artsy films were largely ignored. Most people today argue that the deaths were in very bad taste, at the least. Ghostland. Ghostland was a 2018 indie horror film. It was about two sisters who were stalked and eventually captured and tortured by a couple of home invaders that were a little too into dolls. 
The film in general didn't really do too well. However, it remains to be known because of the actual real-life horror that it caused for one of its actresses. The actress, whose name was Taylor Hickson, was injured so badly on the film that she was actually able to sue for negligence and get some money in damages. She had to take a lot of time off work, along with going through a lot of pricey recovery treatments. During one particularly horrific scene, the 19-year-old actress was told to pound on a glass door. Not satisfied with the amount of force she was using, she was ordered to slam on it harder and harder. She reluctantly complied, but the glass didn't really hold. It eventually gave way and shattered, which caused her to fall through the door and land on her face. Needless to say, her face was pretty shredded up. The actress was rushed to the hospital and needed to receive about 70 stitches. She had to go through a slew of reconstructive processes to get her face looking back to normal. These included both laser treatment and silicon treatment. Even so, she was left with permanent scarring all over the left side of her face. While earlier I said she was able to get damages, the amount hasn't actually been settled as the lawsuit is ongoing. However, the production company did plead guilty in 2019 to failure to ensure the safety and welfare of a worker under the Workplace Safety and Health Act. They've already received a fine of $40,000, so it's seen as pretty likely that the actress is going to get some money in damages. The Dirt The Dirt is a 2019 American film. It's a biographical comedy drama that focuses on the band Motley Crue. In March of 2018, one of the crew members suffered an electric shock while he was taking down a set during the New Orleans shoot. He ended up getting second and third degree burns over 50% of his body. This required numerous skin grafts, surgeries, and the amputation of his right foot. One year later, in March of 2019, he was able to sue Netflix and Motley Crue for $1.8 million in damages to compensate for his medical bills. Titanic Titanic is a movie about the Titanic. Everyone knows what this movie is and what happens, so I'll move right along to the incident at hand. During the film's climactic final sinking scene, several extras were actually hurt when they fell and hit parts of the ship. They suffered a range of different kinds of injuries, everything from a broken ankle to cracked ribs to a fractured cheekbone to a ruptured spleen. The actress, Kate Winslet, refused to wear a wetsuit under her dress. This caused her to suffer from hypothermia while filming the water scenes. Not only that, but during a scene when Jack and Rose were running away from the rising water in the hallways, her coat actually snagged on a gate. This pulled her down into the water and nearly drowned her. Then, just to add insult to injury, on the final night of shooting, 80 cast and crew members were rushed to the hospital after a bunch of pranksters spiked the clam chowder at the catering area with PCP. The Adventures of Milo and Otis so The Adventures of Milo and Otis, called Koneko Monogatari in Japan, is a 1986 Japanese adventure comedy drama film about two animals. These animals are an orange tabby cat and a pug. It's one of those live-action talking animal movies that reminds me of something along the lines of Homeward Bound. Once the film was released internationally, several Australian animal rights organizations raised concerns of animal cruelty during filming. It went as far as calling for a boycott. Animal Liberation Queensland founder Jackie Kent alleged that they had killed more than 20 kittens during production. She had also heard other reports from Europe that alleged that other animals had been injured on set as well. It was rumored that one producer had actually broken a cat's paw to make it appear unsteady on its feet. Some other scenes caused controversy as well, such as one where a cat falls off of a cliff and has to try to climb back up. 
there was also a scene of the pug fighting a bear. Both of these scenes were actually deleted from the American release. The organization had actually received a good number of complaints from people who were concerned that the production couldn't have taken place without animal cruelty being involved. The film actually did receive approval from the American Humane Society despite none of them having actually been present during filming. Afterwards, though, they did attempt to investigate the cruelty concerns. They had heard allegations from here and there, but they were never able to verify any of them. They said, I quote, We have tried through humane people in Japan and through another Japanese producer to determine if the rumors are true, but everything has led to a dead end. They concluded that several Japanese humane societies allowed their names to be used in connection with the movie and that the film shows no sign of animals being injured or harmed. Whether or not they're being very genuine is still unknown. Roar Roar is a 1981 American action comedy film. Roar is the story of a man named Hank who is a naturalist who lives on a nature preserve in Africa. Notably, he lives among lions, tigers, and various other big cat species. His family comes to visit him, and instead of seeing him, they are instead confronted by the group of large animals. The first script was completed in 1970, but filming didn't begin until 1976. Then, it still took about five years to make. After 11 long years in production, the movie was finally finished. The reason it took so long was partly in due to production being a disaster. There were a large number of massive, untrained animals on set at all times. There were a reported 48 injuries within two years just at the start of filming. It has later been said that of the 140-person crew, about 70 of those were injured during production. However, in later interviews, they've estimated that number to be well over a hundred. One man was bitten straight through the hand when he was interacting with male lions during the fight scene. It was initially feared that he might lose his entire arm. Eventually, he suffered eight puncture wounds on his leg when a lion was curious about his anti-reflection makeup and bit him. By that point, though, he had already been bitten around 11 times. He was then again hospitalized when his face and chest were injured and was diagnosed with blood poisoning. After being attacked even more times, he was diagnosed with gangrene. All in all, it took this man several years to fully recover from these injuries. During a promo shoot in 1973, another actress was injured when she was bitten on the head by a lion. She was bitten with such severity that the teeth actually scraped her skull. She was taken to the hospital where her wounds were treated and she was simply given a tetanus shot. Then later on, she was again admitted to the hospital after an elephant picked her up by its trunk and fractured her ankle before throwing her down off of its back. She was also left with gangrene along with phlebitis. By the end of production, she also had a fractured hand and abrasions on her leg. A few days later, that same elephant took its trainer and threw her into a tree and broke her shoulder. After that, the previously mentioned actress was again scratched on the arm by a leopard and bitten by a cougar. Another actress then had to receive 50 sutures after being attacked by a lioness. They thought that she was actually going to lose her eye, but she eventually made a full recovery without even any disfigurement. This was after some facial reconstruction, however. A lion actually jumped onto the back of the director himself and bit the back of his head, which resulted in a wound that took 56 sutures to fix. Another man, while in a lion cage, was bitten on the thigh. He was put into the hospital for about a month. Another crew member was even completely scalped by a lion while he was filming. He required 220 sutures, but he actually resumed working shortly after recovering. One of the lions bit the assistant director on the throat and attempted to rip off one of his ears. 
He also ended up with injuries to his scalp, chest, and thigh. All of this took about four and a half hours of surgery to fix. Some report the attack as having been near fatal, but a nurse actually said that he was conscious and in fair condition after the surgery. After witnessing some of these attacks, 20 of the crew members just left all at once. The turnover rate was pretty high and most people didn't want to come back. Because one of the filmmakers was actually a producer on The Exorcist, many began to spread rumors that all of the onset incidents were actually caused by what they call the Curse of the Exorcist. However, it's more likely that they were merely caused by working with a bunch of untrained lions and tigers. Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl According to one actor who worked on set, one of the most memorable cast members was actually a monkey. This monkey was particularly interesting because he reportedly threw up all the time. To quote, he had a very tiny stomach and when we were filming on the boat, he would just projectile vomit in the middle of scenes, which I found hilarious. This wasn't even the only incident with a monkey on the set of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. On the set of Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Men Tell No Tales, a capuchin monkey reportedly also projectile vomited all over the set. Another monkey had bit a makeup artist in a previous incident. PETA sent a letter urging the filmmakers not to use any more monkeys or really any other wild animals for that matter on future productions. Whether that will be taken seriously is unknown. Wake and Freight so Wake and Freight, which was called Outback sometimes outside of Australia, was a 1971 psychological thriller film. It's mainly about a fairly young school teacher who goes into moral degradation, as they call it, after finding himself stranded out in the brutal outback of Australia. The movie pretty much flopped and was quickly lost to time. It only remained in a very edited print, which was so low quality that it was unable to be put to video. However, by pure chance, the negatives were discovered in 2002 all the way in Pittsburgh. Funnily enough, they were in a shipping container labeled For Destruction. It took a few years, but by 2009, they were able to fully restore the movie and release an uncut version of the film. This movie didn't really age well. At the first new screening of the film, 12 people walked out during one certain sequence where live kangaroos were killed on screen. This is after one particular scene which involves one extra long night with the main character and his buddies drinking at a pub and ends up with them destroying the entire place in a drunken rage. After that, they go out to the outback to hunt some kangaroo. This was mainly for fun, but also served as a kind of initiation for the school teacher. At first, it doesn't seem like he's very into it, but eventually he's fully on board and jumps out of their truck to deliver the final blow to a baby kangaroo, of all things. The footage used of the kangaroos dying was actually real footage of kangaroos being shot. The filming of this scene actually lasted for several hours. This gradually took a toll on the psyches of the people working on the film. According to one cinematographer, the hunters were getting really drunk and they started to miss. It was becoming this orgy of killing and we, the crew, were getting sick of it. It's reported that kangaroos were hopping away helplessly with gunshot wounds and their intestines trailing behind them. The crew actually resorted to faking a power failure just in order to end the hunt. Armor of God Armor of God, which was known as Operation Condor 2, the Armor of the Gods in the United States, was a 1986 Hong Kong action-adventure film. This movie was directed by, written by, and starred Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan played a former musician who became an adventurer and treasure hunter later in life. Out of all of his stunts, this film is known for being the one that came the closest to actually killing the actor. There was one particular scene they were filming in which Jackie Chan was forced to jump from a wall to a tree branch. 
However, the branch snapped and he fell 15 feet to the ground below him. He hit his head on a rock, which caused his skull to crack and a fragment to lodge deep into his brain. He was left with a plastic plug and a permanent hole left in his skull. He also suffers from hearing loss in his right ear. He now calls this stunt the closest he has ever come to death. The Wizard of Oz So The Wizard of Oz is another one that I'm kind of surprised wasn't higher, but here we are. So Margaret Hamilton, the actress who played the Wicked Witch of the West, was injured on set when she was supposed to vanish in a burst of flames and smoke. She was supposed to be carried under the stage by an elevator. Afterwards, they were to release a burst of flames. However, the pyrotechnic device went off before the elevator did. Hamilton ended up with second-degree burns on her face and third-degree burns on her right hand. Luckily, they had a doctor on set who was called in and she was saved from any further injuries. Her stunt double, Betty Danko, was also injured in a scene involving a smoking broomstick. Witches and fire apparently don't mix. The original actor playing the Tin Man also suffered a severe allergic reaction to the aluminum powder which was dusted over his Tin Man makeup. He was completely unable to continue working on the film and was instead replaced by Jack Haley, the man we know today as the Tin Man. Speed Racer Speed Racer was a 2008 sports action comedy film based on the long-running manga and anime of the same name. It seems that PETA in Germany was all up in arms over some alleged mistreatment of a chimpanzee on set of the film. According to a report from PETA, there was a representative of the American Humane Association that actually witnessed the abuse on set. The AHA stated that a chimp bit one of the actors, which caused the lead animal trainer, Greg Lilly, to, quote, in an uncontrolled impulse, hit one of the other chimpanzees. PETA of Germany then attempted to file charges against that trainer. No matter where great apes and other animals are used as actors, you'll find abuse, said the PETA director. Unconquered So Unconquered is a 1947 film that depicted the violent struggles between American colonists and the Native Americans on the western frontier during the mid-18th century. It took place during the 1763 Pontiac's Rebellion, mainly around Fort Pitt, which is in modern-day Pittsburgh. Interestingly enough, we have another entry revolving around the director Cecil B. DeMille. This time, he actually insisted on using real fireballs and flaming arrows during one of the battle scenes. During filming, this caused nine extras to suffer burns, including one man who had a chunk of his hair partially burned off. In another on-set incident, a stunt woman was filming a scene in which a canoe was to go over a waterfall. She was supposed to grab onto a tree limb on the way down, but she missed. She did fall onto a safety net below, which was below the water's surface, but she landed face down in the net. Because of the way she landed, she nearly drowned and was barely able to make it out of the water in time. Flicka Flicka is a movie in which Tim McGraw stars as the father of a 16-year-old named Katie. Katie unwisely takes in a wild horse so that she can prove to her dad that she's capable of running the family ranch. It was the adaptation of a novel called My Friend Flicka. Unfortunately, according to the American Humane Association, two horses actually died on the set of the film. Both of the deaths were accidental and occurred in 2005. One horse fractured its tibia during the filming of a running scene and the other horse tripped on a rope and broke its neck after a fall. Even though there were certified animal safety representatives monitoring the film's production, the deaths were ruled to simply be unpreventable accidents. 
In neither instance did the filmmakers or the animal trainers fail to comply with American Humane's guidelines for safe use of animals in film media, said the association. Sadly, accidents do happen, but as long as animals continue to be used in film and television entertainment, American Humane will continue to monitor their treatment, they added. The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey The Hobbit is another one of those movies that everyone knows. Just a few days before the movie actually premiered, word got out that as many as 27 animals used in production of the film died in the farm in New Zealand where they were being kept. Animal wranglers told news outlets that there were bluffs, sinkholes, and other death traps at the farm. Three of the horses they used for filming died, along with six goats, six sheep, and a dozen chickens. They said, to quote, Wrangler Chris Landridge said that he was hired as a horse trainer in November of 2010, overseeing 50 or so horses, but immediately became concerned that the farm was full of death traps. He said that he tried to fill in some of the sinkholes made by underground streams and even brought in his own fences to keep the horses away from the most dangerous areas. Ultimately, he said it was an impossible task. He said horses run at speeds of up to 30 miles per hour and need to be housed on flat land. It's just a no-brainer. The first horse to die, he said, was a miniature named Rainbow. A representative spokesman for Peter Jackson named Matt Dravitsky acknowledged that horses, goats, chickens, and one sheep died at the farm near Wellington where about 150 animals were housed for the movies. But he said some of the deaths were from natural causes. PETA, in usual fashion, urged people to boycott the movie, which they primarily did not do. Super Mario Brothers Super Mario Brothers, which was also known as Super Mario Brothers the Movie, was a 1993 fantasy action-adventure film based on the video games. It was actually the first feature-length movie based on a video game, in fact. However, it was a critical and financial flop. Even though it usually tends to appear on lists of the worst movies ever made, it actually has developed a cult following over time. While filming, the lead actor, Bob Hoskins, was actually stabbed four times, electrocuted, and nearly drowned. During another scene, another actor slammed the door of a van on his hand, which broke his finger. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows was a 2010 fantasy film based on the book of the same name. The first part was released in 2010, and the second part was released in 2011. During production of the film, Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double, a man named David Holmes, suffered a severe spinal injury during the filming of an aerial scene, which left him as a paraplegic. Holmes was flying through the air when he flew straight into a wall and was then pulled back by a high-strength wire, which broke his neck. He lied on the ground for a while, conscious, before telling his colleagues around him that he couldn't feel his legs. Paramedics soon rushed him to the hospital, but he was unfortunately told that he would be paralyzed for life from the waist down. Kelly's Heroes Kelly's Heroes was a 1970 comedy war film. An actor named Donald Sutherland actually died for a few seconds while filming the movie. He said in his own words, I got sick in the middle of shooting Kelly's Heroes. I came to Yugoslavia for a day's filming and I was out for six weeks. They took me to the hospital. I had spinal meningitis. They didn't have the antibiotics, so I went into a coma, and they told me that for a few seconds I died. I saw the blue tunnel and I started going down it. I saw the white light. I dug my feet in. Although he didn't really want to die, he did debate on just letting it go for a few moments. He said, I didn't want to go, but it was incredibly tempting. You just go, ah oh, shit man, why not? Deadpool 2 Deadpool 2 was a 2018 superhero film based on Deadpool. 
During the filming of the movie on August 14th of 2017, a stunt woman was riding a motorcycle near Vancouver's Jackpool Plaza when she lost control of the bike and crashed through a window. She was unfortunately pronounced dead shortly after. The stunt course featured a series of ramps. As the driver, Joy Harris, transitioned onto one ramp, she lost control of the motorcycle and accelerated instead of coming to a controlled stop. The bike continued to go over a second ramp afterwards and went airborne with her still holding onto the handlebars. The bike landed down into the road, hit a cement median, and then that launched Harris through a window at the base of the Shaw Tower. A report from the coroner said that she died of blunt force traumatic head injuries after being ejected from the bike. She was not wearing a helmet at the time of the crash, which has been said to have been a major contributing factor to her death. Although she was an experienced driver, this was her first time as a stunt woman. The company, due to multiple high-risk violations of safety standards, ended up getting hit with a pretty severe $300,000 fine. Joy Harris's family reached a settlement with 20th Century Fox as well for an unspecified amount of money. Vampire in Brooklyn Vampire in Brooklyn was a 1995 American dark comedy horror film. Despite being a horror film, it actually starred Eddie Murphy, who produced and wrote the film along with his brothers. Angela Bassett's stunt double, a woman named Sonia Davis, fell to her death in a stunt gone wrong. She was fatally injured when she performed a backwards 42-foot fall off the top of a building. Her death actually led to a $50 million wrongful death lawsuit against Paramount Pictures. The movie was released and flopped. The Captive the Captive was an American silent era film that was released on April 22nd of 1915. The film was a romantic war era movie about the plight of a woman named Sonia and her lover named Mahmoud. There was one scene in particular where a bunch of soldiers were told to break down a locked door. To do so, a bunch of extras fired at the door using live ammunition to give the scene a little bit more of a realistic look. The director, as you might guess, was Cecil B. DeMille. When the door was actually to be broken down, he ordered the extras to fire blanks from their guns. However, one of the extras accidentally left a live round in his rifle. This, when it was discharged, ended up hitting another extra in the head, which killed him instantly. Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ was a 1925 American silent era epic adventure drama film. It was the first feature-length adaptation of the novel and the second adaptation overall after a 1907 short. During an early attempt to film the chariot race scene, one of the actors, a stuntman, fell from his chariot when a wheel broke, which led to his death. Heaven's Gate Heaven's Gate was a 1980 American epic western film. It was about a land dispute between land barons and European immigrants that was set in Wyoming in the 1890s. From the very beginning, the film was hit with a slew of allegations revolving animal cruelty. The American Humane Association was actually prevented from monitoring the animals on set. Afterwards, they issued a bunch of press releases detailing the animal abuse and organized boycotts of the film. It was actually because of this movie that now the AHA is contractually authorized to monitor the use for all animals used in film media. One of the allegations was that steers used in the movie had their throats cut so that the blood could be collected and smeared upon the actors later in a scene that called for blood. They also alleged that four horses were killed and many more were injured during the filming of a battle scene. It was even stated that one of the horses was blown up with dynamite. 
It is even rumored that this footage was used in the final film. The owner of one of the horses actually filed a lawsuit against the producers, the director, and the horse wrangler. This horse, although it survived, was said to have gone through severe physical and behavioral trauma and disfigurement. The case was settled out of court. There were even accusations of real cockfights and decapitated chickens. It was also said that a group of cows was disemboweled so that they could use their intestines on the human actors during a battle scene. Video releases of the film removed about a minute and 14 seconds of content. This content is believed to have been related to the animal abuse. It is because of this movie that you now commonly see the No Animals Were Harmed disclaimer at the end of a movie. This film notably does not include that disclaimer. Top Gun Top Gun was a 1986 American action film. This film, as you probably already know, stars Tom Cruise as a young naval aviator who is aboard a U.S. aircraft carrier. He and his colleague are given the chance to train at the U.S. Navy's Fighter Weapons School, which is called Top Gun. While filming on September 16th of 1985, an aerobatic pilot named Art Scholl crashed his Pitts S2 camera plane off the Southern California coast. Unfortunately, neither the aircraft nor his body were ever found. Director Director was a 1969 Soviet drama film. It took place during the end of the Civil War in Russia. The film is mainly about the story of a sailor named Alexei who became the director of an automobile plant. While information is sparse, a Soviet actor named Yevgeny Urbanski died in an accident while performing a stunt during filming. Motherless Brooklyn Motherless Brooklyn was a 2019 American neo-noir crime film. It was set in New York City in 1957. It was mainly about a private investigator with Tourette's Syndrome who was out to solve the murder of his mentor. On the 22nd of March in 2018, a fire broke out while filming on one of the film sets in New York City. A firefighter who came out to the scene named Lieutenant Michael Davidson was killed while fighting the blaze. The Godless Girl The Godless Girl was a 1928 drama film. It was mainly about the romance between two teenagers, one of which was the leader of a Christian youth organization and the other was an atheist. This was a much bigger deal at the time. The two groups end up attacking each other, which leads to a riot and ends up with one young girl dead. The filming of one scene required one actor and one actress to be trapped in a burning building. Both of them had their clothes and their hair and their skin covered with asbestos coating. During filming, the male actor became a little concerned that the pyrotechnic flames were getting too hot and too close, and he retreated from the set. However, the actress, which was eager to impress the director, who was, you guessed it, Cecil B. DeMille, insisted on remaining until the scene was finished. Because of the intense heat, she suffered severe burns and blistering to her forearms, and her eyebrows and eyelashes were completely burned off. Hell's Angels Hell's Angels was a 1930 American pre-code independent epic war film. Being pre-code means it was produced at a time before safety standards were really a thing in the industry. It follows two brothers during the First World War who were members of the British Royal Flying Corps. The film was originally going to be a silent film, but after being in development hell for quite some time, it ended up being converted to sound later on. Not one, not two, but three pilots were actually killed during the filming. One of them, portraying a German bomber plane, crashed while attempting a spin during its final scene that it was unable to recover from. 
The pilot was ready to bail out and called out to a mechanic in the back of the plane. He told this mechanic to jump, but the mechanic didn't hear him and went down with the plane. One brief shot of the plane spinning was actually used in the film. Two other stunt pilots were killed in similar but separate incidents. The producer and director himself, Howard Hughes, was actually badly injured when he attempted a stunt himself. He was attempting a low-altitude aerial maneuver that professional stuntmen told him could not be done safely. They were right and he crashed. He suffered severe head injuries. He had to undergo plastic surgery to undo the damage to his face, but unfortunately they couldn't do anything about his left cheekbone. The Aviator the Aviator was a 1929 American comedy film. It was also pre-code. In the film, a less-than-intelligent man has to pretend to be a famous horse jockey. Unfortunately, The Aviator has become lost media over the years. While the crew were doing some aerial scouting for filming locations, an aircraft carrying them crashed. One cameraman, along with one actor, did not survive. The Expendables 2 the Expendables 2 is the second Expendables movie on this list, and the second of the trilogy. This follows a group of mercenaries as they undergo a mission to take out their rival who is threatening the world with a deadly weapon. Pretty standard action movie affair. While they were filming in Bulgaria, one stuntman was killed and another was left heavily injured in critical condition when they staged an explosion on a rubber boat. Luckily, after a five-hour operation, the injured stuntman was able to be put into stable condition. Coincidentally, both Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger required shoulder surgery after filming the movie. That doesn't actually really compare to a death, though. The Last Lion The Last Lion was a 1972 South African action film. It was about a terminally ill American millionaire who went to South Africa on one final hunting trip to track down and try and shoot a male lion. It was kind of a Moby Dick type story about a lion that had always eluded this man over the years and he became obsessed with it. However, the sound technician on the film was actually mauled to death by a lion during filming. Kind of short and sweet, but that's all there is to it. The Skyway Man The Skyway Man was a 1920 American silent action drama film. It's a story about a shell-shocked captain suffering from amnesia as he returns from the war. His girlfriend, after finding him wandering the streets, comes up with a plan to restore his memory. This film is now, unfortunately, lost media. No footage is known to exist. Two pilots were killed in August of 1920 while filming. Their plane crashed in an airfield near Los Angeles while filming one of the night scenes. Shark Shark, also known as both Kane and Maneater in some releases, was a 1969 Mexican-American action film. It's a story about a man named Kane, a gunrunner, who becomes stranded at a small port in the Red Sea. While he's there, he meets a nice-looking lady who convinces him to dive into some shark-invested waters off the coast. While filming, a stuntman was killed by a shark on camera. The shark was supposed to have been sedated, but something went wrong and it suddenly attacked. The Warrens of Virginia The Warrens of Virginia was a 1924 American silent drama film. It's a story about two childhood sweethearts who grew up together, but at the start of the Civil War, both find their families on opposing sides of the war. While filming, an actress named Martha Mansfield was severely burned when another cast member tossed out a match that ignited her Civil War costume, mainly a hoop skirt. She had just stopped filming for the day and had gotten into the car to relax when she burst into flames. Her face and neck were saved when a fellow cast member threw his coat over her. The hands of the chauffeur were also badly burned when he tried to help Martha remove her costume. 
The fire was put out, but she was too badly burned and died the next day. Gone Fishing Gone Fishing was a 1997 American comedy film that starred Joe Pesci and Danny Glover as two dumbass fishermen. It was both panned by critics and considered to be a massive flop, a box office bomb. During the production of the movie, a stunt woman named Janet Wilder was killed when she was riding a boat that was intended to take a ramp and jump over another boat. The speedboat that contained both Joe Pesci and Danny Glover's stunt doubles flipped over and crashed into two separate boats that contained both film crew and extras. Wilder was killed during the collision. Her husband, father-in-law, and two other crew members were also injured to various degrees. Some Men Are Dangerous Some Men Are Dangerous, also sometimes known by the title The Mask of Love, was a 1930 American drama film, also pre-code. The movie was based on a novella that was based on the real-life disappearance of a Belgian banker named Alfred Lowenstein that mysteriously vanished on a flight over the English Channel. During some aerial filming taken near the coast of Southern California around Santa Monica in 1930, two aircraft being used as camera planes collided with each other and crashed over the ocean. All ten men on both of the two planes were killed, including the director, the assistant director, the cinematographer, the director of photography, and two cameramen who were properly trained pilots. Only five of the bodies were ever found. Being that it was one of the last scenes they had to film, the movie was actually still completed on schedule, I might add. The families of the departed ended up taking legal action against the Fox Film Company, but didn't really get anywhere. Delta Force 2 Delta Force II, The Columbian Connection, was a 1990 American action film and served as a sequel to the 1986 Chuck Norris movie, The Delta Force. In this movie, the main character, who has now become a colonel, leads his Delta team into a made-up South American country to rescue some hostages and stop them from importing coke back into the U.S. A total of five people were killed when a helicopter crashed during filming in the Philippines. Those who died were a pilot, an actor, Jeff Brewer actually, who was in Roadhouse, a cameraman, a key grip, and a gaffer. My Life for Ireland My Life for Ireland was an anti-British Nazi propaganda film from 1941 that told the story of an Irish nationalist family and how they struggled to gain independence from Britain for over two generations. During the final battle, which was set during the Irish Civil War, a number of extras were killed when one of them happened to step on a real, active landmine. The footage has been said to have actually been included in some of the released prints of the film, although there hasn't been conclusive proof of this. The Conqueror The Conqueror was a 1956 American epic historical drama film. In the film, Genghis Khan falls in love with the daughter of the Tartars' leader and kidnaps her, which leads to a war. Despite having an all-star cast and a pretty good performance at the box office, critics didn't like it. It's usually considered to be one of the worst films of the 1950s, and sometimes even one of the worst films ever made. The movie is famous, though, for having been filmed near the United States government's Nevada nuclear testing site. In 1953, extensive above-ground nuclear weapons testing had been conducted in the area. After filming this movie, many people involved ended up getting cancer over the years. The director, Dick Powell, died of cancer in January of 1963. Pedro Armendariz was diagnosed with kidney cancer in 1960 and sadly ended his life in 1963 after he learned it had become terminal. John Wayne, Susan Howard, and Agnes Moorhead all died of cancer in the 70s. Then, a cast member named John Hoyt died of lung cancer in 1991. The cast and crew contained a total of 220 people. 
By the time 1981 had come around, 91 of them had developed some kind of cancer and 46 of them went on to pass away from it. Several family members of the cast and crew, including a few members of John Wayne's family, had cancer scares themselves after visiting the set. Two of them actually did end up with tumors. It was never really clear if this rate of cancer was actually that much higher than the general population, although it seems like a whole lot on paper. However, it is to note that leukemia is normally what you develop when exposed to nuclear fallout, and the cast and crew developed a wide variety of other forms of cancer. Fitzcarraldo Fitzcarraldo was a 1982 West German epic action-adventure drama film. It's mainly about a would-be rubber baron who goes by the name of Fitzcarraldo that attempts to transport a steamship over a steep hill in order to get to a really good rubber territory in the Amazon basin. The production of this particular movie was plagued by numerous injuries on set and even the deaths of several of the indigenous extras that the crew hired as laborers. Not only that, but there were two plane crashes that resulted in five critical injuries to cast and crew, along with one that resulted in paralysis. In addition, a Peruvian logger was also forced to cut off his own foot after he was bitten by a venomous snake on set. Messenger Messenger was going to be a 2002 Russian film. I say that because the film was never actually finished. In fact, it never got past the second day of recording. On that second day, all hell broke loose when a combination rock ice slide occurred on set while wrapping up. The lead actor and director, along with 42 film crew members, all died in the incident. The production was, needless to say, shut down after this. The Viking The Viking, which was also known by the titles of White Thunder and Vikings of the Ice Field, was a 1931 Newfoundland-slash-American adventure film. Being set on the coasts of Newfoundland, this story is about a rivalry that develops between a seal hunter and a local man who is considered to be a jinx. After finishing up on the filming that took place in Canada, the producer, co-director, and real-life adventurer, a guy named Varick Frissel, decided that they needed some more footage of the Labrador ice flows to really spruce up the film. So he, along with a small film crew, joined a local real ship called, coincidentally, the Viking, as it went on a seal hunting voyage so that they could film some more stock footage. However, in mid-March, the ship unfortunately got trapped in the ice near the horse isles and some dynamite that they were keeping on the ship, that they kept in case they needed to break up some pesky ice, was accidentally detonated. It completely destroyed the boat and killed all 27 men on board, including Frissel and the cameraman, Alexander Penrod. Noah's Ark Noah's Ark was actually another movie I had in mind when coming up with this video. It was a 1928 American epic romantic melodramatic disaster film. Quite a mouthful. When filming the Great Flood scene for the movie, several hundreds of extras were called in to play the poor, drowning sinners caught in the water. Three people died when filming the scene. Along with those three deaths, one man lost a leg and a good number of others were injured in various other ways. These deaths were part of what caused the introduction of film safety regulations to be drafted the next year. A fitting end for this iceberg. Once again, this has been your host, Kyle. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast episode. Feel free to look through my huge library of other stories if you found this one interesting, and be sure to be there for the next stories that come out each and every week. Have a good night.